How are we doing this morning? Good. The answer is good because God is good. Amen? And he's good all the time. All the time, God is good. Amen. So a couple of things that I want us to, to just prepare ourselves for. Go and grab your Bible. Uh, go to the uh, third letter of, of the Apostle John, which is near the end of the scriptures. Um, close. You get to Revelation, you've gone too far, so turn back. If you're in Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians, Colossians, all that, you're, you're too early. Keep going. So grab your Bibles and head over to Third John. Uh, John... The epistle of John, and we'll be reading there. Someone once said this. He said that good news is only good news if it gets there in time. I think there was a, a missionary who said that. I'm not too sure what his name was, and it escaped my mind. But, you know, just stop and think about that. Good news is only good if it arrives in time. Over this last couple of weeks, we've been, you know, studying that there is a real need for good news out in this world. If the news arrives too late, it just won't do. It won't afford what it needs to afford. It will not accomplish what it needs to accomplish. There is a world that is in desperate need of good news all around us. If there is anything about which we cannot tolerate lukewarmness, it is the matter of sending the gospel to a dying world. That's what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, uh, the great preacher, preacher in, in the U.K., we cannot afford to be lukewarm. There is thousands and billions of people that are out there in the world right now who are not experiencing, do not know, have not ever heard of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. As we discussed in the beginning of the series, we talked about how in this unreached people group, these 14 plus thousand people groups that are all around the world that have not yet come to know Jesus Christ, in that group there's about 70,000 people that die every single day. Good news is only good if it arrives on time. We've been studying the, the call to missions, the importance of missions over these last couple of weeks. In the first week, we started talking about how we are called to pray. We're called to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into the field, that it is his harvest, and we need to do the endeavor, the work, the, 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 the commitment of praying that God would change hearts, that he would break down barriers, that he would meet the needs of those who are in the harvest field, that he would activate men and women of faith to go out in power. And last week, we started looking at the story of the four men in, in Mark chapter 2. We looked at how we are not only called to pray, but we are called to go ourselves. There are people who are in need of us going to them, whether it might be right here across the aisle, across our driveways, or it might be around the world. We are called to go and be the ones that bring the good news of Jesus Christ to people who are desperately in need of good news. And today I want us to look here in John, in the third uh, epistle of John, to see the calling that we have in sending. The calling to send. So if you're in John, we're going to look at uh, verse 5 through 8. It says this, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. 
Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that they may be fellow workers for the truth. Father, I thank you for the reading of your word, and I pray that it would become alive and active in our hearts. Lord, compel us and convict us through your Holy Spirit, that it would, Lord Jesus, reach down deep, but Lord God, that it would push us out forcefully into this world to make a difference for your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want us to, to just frame the context of, of this letter here before we jump into a couple of lessons, a couple of things that I feel that the Lord would want us to know in this missionary uh, emphasis services that we've been doing. Understanding the background here of this letter, you're going to get and glean, uh, glean some support to understanding what John is trying to say and what the situation is around his circumstances. John is the writer of the Gospel of John and he is the writer of the three epistles, the three letters that we see here. In a quick survey of all that he wrote, you will come to understand very quickly that there is a relationship in all of these writings. There is a commonality within it. And after writing of, the, uh, of his gospel, what John goes in to do is he's trying to talk about a certain group that has come into the larger community of John's readers. There's a group of people who have adopted beliefs, and these guys are now denying the identity of Jesus Christ, the, the, the authority of Jesus Christ. They are denying the person and the work of Jesus. And the group that he is often fighting against and speaking out against and, and, and trying to insulate his readers from are, are these people called the secessionists. These guys eventually split off and they were out there proclaiming a false gospel. They're proclaiming a false teaching and they're confusing and muddying the waters of what it means for the church to be anchored in Christ Jesus. So in 1 John, he writes to strengthen the believers in their faith concerning who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the work of Calvary. He tells them in beautiful language and he shares some incredible uh, nuances of doctrine about who Jesus Christ is and what he accomplished. And then in 2 John, he goes on to warn of the false itinerant preachers, these men and women who are going around pretending to be the men of God. But in reality, they are just wolves in sheep's clothing and they're coming to dissuade and distract and take people astray. And so John gives a warning against them. John then uses his third letter to speak to one man, to a follower, possibly one that he himself led to the Lord, but one man who's part of a congregation in the church body. He's speaking by extension to the church through this one man for the need to support and send out laborers into the harvest field. He is calling forth this man. He's highlighting him because he has a quality and a characteristic. He has a tendency and he has a methodology in which John recognizes as good. And he wants to highlight that to the rest of the church. And so we learn about this man by the name of Gaius. And we're going to learn a little bit here in his story. John wants us to be anchored and know that God is going to mobilize. He is going to utilize the engine which he will utilize to affect the good news and bring it in good time is the engine of sending out others, the engine of missions going out into the world. And so from this text, I want to suggest be able to mine out a couple of stories, a couple of lessons, and, and uh, see if that would be a challenge onto us as we go forth this morning. As I know it was for Gaius and it was for the people of the time, I know 
know that it will be also for us today. The first thing I want us to take a look at here is this. That sending missionaries is a command. Look to your neighbor and say, it's a command. Contrary to popular belief, it is a command. If we look here in this text, in this passage, speaking to this man, God commands the church to be senders. He is extolling Gaius for the fact that he participates in this activity. God expects us to be actively engaged in helping missionaries get to the field and to stay on the field. It is not an optional, you know, nice to do if you get around to it type of thing, but it is a command that he speaks we should do. It says here in verse 8, therefore we ought to support such men. Say ought. We ought to support such men. These men and women are those who have said, Lord, here I am. I'm reminded when uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, that Isaiah saw the Lord lifted high and his train filled the temple and, and there was God speaking and the min- angels ministering to God and God was searching. He said, whom shall I send? These are the men who say, God, here I am, send me. These are the women who say, Lord, here I am, young and old. And they say, Lord, here we are, send us. Send us into this world. Send us to, to, to carry your name. These are the men and women who cry out, to God because they hear the cries of the unreached people groups all over the world and they say, Lord, I need to to go and do something about this. These are the men like the four friends who said, I've got to go. I've got to take my friend to Jesus. I've got to bring Jesus to my friends and to the world all around me. And so these are the people who are committed to going and to taking the word of God, the mission of Christ around the world where it does not yet exist, where it's not yet prevalent, where it's not yet prominent, where it is not yet heard of. They are the ones who are going. And they go also to the places even that already heard but need further strengthening. These are the people who go. They're committed. They're committed to going because they've caught the definition as we've shared about missions. That missions exist because worship does not, as John Piper says it. They are committed to going where it does not yet exist. Billions of unreached people who are yet to hear the good news, they say, we will go in time. We will answer the call. And in the words of Paul, how then will they go? I want us to anchor our thoughts here. How then will they call on him whom they have not heard? They have not believed in. And how can they believe in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? This idea of sending is anchored here in the third epistle of John, but it's also found in Paul's writings to the Romans. It's also found all throughout the New Testament as we see God sent his son in John 3.16 so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life we see it in the words of jesus christ as he went and sent his disciples two by two and he sent them out to cast out demons to heal the sick and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of god at hand we see this all throughout as the antiochian church by the direction of the holy spirit separated paul and barnabas and they laid hands upon them and then they said we are sending you out to be missionaries to the gentiles to be the sent one to minister and bring to this people group 
that do not yet know the Lord, we are sending you out. This idea of sending is all throughout the Bible. It is all throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, and it is part of what John wants us to be aware of here today. One of the most exhilarating experiences that we can encounter in life is to be a fellow worker of God in his harvest field by making his name known and sharing with others the hope that there is in Jesus Christ. How many of us are absolutely grateful that there was a man or a woman that came and shared the word of God with us? How many of us are incredibly blessed that there is stories and legacies within our families of those who came and spoke, maybe to a parent or a grandparent? Some of us have been in the faith for many generations. Some of us are just newly. We are the ones who experience it for the very first time. And now we can take the legacy that someone brought to us, the good news of Jesus, and it has reverberated and changed the lives of our loved ones and our family members. See, God commands us not only to pray for the missions but to go to the missions but also to send those why because our reach is limited and so he asks us to send the second thing i want us to just pay attention and anchor our thoughts on here today is that sending out missionaries is an incredibly beneficial activity it's an incredibly beneficial uh, enterprise if we judge it by john's word himself if you look at what he's saying in this text we're going to see that sending out missionaries was regarded as incredibly beneficial. It is something that's going to have an impact. It was commendable. It was something to be celebrated. The apostle himself was overjoyed. Overjoyed at the fact that there is a person who is sending out missionaries. Some missionaries from John's church, it seems, had visited Gaius. He had gone, they had gone over to Gaius' hometown, to his region. They came and visited Gaius' church. And when they went there, Gaius received them. And he received them well. He offered up hospitality to them. And when they returned back to John's region and back to John's church, they told John all about the good news. They told John all about their experience while they were out there with Gaius. Look with me uh, what he says here. He says, the elders, verses 1 through 4, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. There was love that this brother shared with these individuals who were yet strangers. These men who were not known to him, but yet who came in the name of the Lord, they, he shared hospitality with them. And the Bible tells us here that John was overjoyed and he was overwhelmed at the goodness that he sees modeled in his disciple. It's interesting that it tells us here that John feels the need to pray over this man Gaius. Above all else, I wish that you would be in good health even as your soul prospers. It seems that there is something going on in the life of this man, Gaius. There might have been a, a, a hardship, a, a difficulty that he might have been going through. Perhaps a disease has plagued his life or maybe you know, a setback has affected his family. Maybe there's a challenge within his livelihood. I don't know what it is. 
Maybe there was a, a, a famine or an issue that was happening in his hometown. We don't know what it is that he's going through, but yet John says, I wish that you would be in good health even as your soul prospers. There is something that was anchored within his heart. Although the physical aspects or something was amiss in his life, there was something of great benefit and value that was happening within him. He was committed to the cause of sending others, of receiving and sharing hospitality. There was something good and beneficial that John says, just like you've done that, just like that has bubbled up blessings within your life, I wish that you would have blessings bubble up in your physical health as well. There is a benefit that comes when we send others into the field. There is a blessing that is our portion. Gaius' love for the missionaries assure that John, that his soul was indeed prospering. He was walking in the truth, and he was a worker, a co-laborer in the truth. When we are going forward in sending missionaries out, and sending out laborers, and partnering with the kingdom of God, and advancing his gospel in the world, there are blessings that are reaped upon his children. John said, you will do well to send them in verse 6. The word for well carries a connotation of beauty. Wasn't there a passage of scripture that says in Isaiah and then also Paul, it says that beautiful are the feet of those who carry the good news. Beautiful are the feet of those who carry the good news to the poor. Beautiful are the feet. There is a beauty. There is a picture of well-meaning in that, in, in that action. I don't know about you, but uh, I don't think feet are act- you know, appropriately beautiful, but if God is saying it's beautiful, then it's beautiful. It's beautiful because it's arriving just in time, bringing news while it is yet time. And how is that not beautiful? Isn't it beneficial when we encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ showing up at just the right moment when a person felt like they had no other recourse and they were ready to take their lives and they were ready to give up hope and they were ready to commit, you know, the crime or they were ready to, to go and just, just, just follow and listen to the voices around them. But yet God come in hope at the right time and the right season and how beautiful it is to be the ones that can send that in the right moment to be able to dispatch that help when it's rightly needed. God has come through just in the nick of time in so many people's lives. It is a beautiful thing that brings incredible benefit when those who are anchored with the Lord say, I'm going to send in the right season and time. I'm going to anchor myself with this cause and I'm going to send it because there's a benefit. There's gonna be a benefit to the person receiving. There's a benefit to the person going and there's a benefit to the person who sends. Those who carry the gospel are considered beautiful by God. And it's fair to say that if God views people who tend to those who need the good news, we can say that these are beautiful people that are sending out the word. I don't know about you, but I want to be a beautiful person. I may not have the goods to back that up, but you know what? I can make sure that I make myself into a beautiful person by sending out workers into the field.
Some of us, we don't need a total makeover. We just need to go ahead and start partnering with people who are going out and answering the call of missions in this world. We need to say, Lord, I'm going to send and I'm going to be part of this plan and this purpose because it's going to be beautiful. There's going to be legacies and transformations. I remember Reinhard Bonnke sharing about the story of his family, that in his village when he grew up, where he grew up in Germany, there was a, you know, a person within the village that was deeply ill and and sick, and, and I'm, I can't remember now if that person was actually within his family, if it was part of his family or not, so forgive me of that story, but I remember that there was, uh, the person was so afflicted, it was such in, so, so much pain and turmoil, that this person would moan in excruciating pain, and the cries of this person could be heard within that little village. But there came a day when a missionary came into that town and they stayed and they entered into the house of, of the Bonkies and they started sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And they shared that Jesus was the one who came to seek and save those who were lost. And that he came not only to seek and save the lost, but he came to give life and give life more abundantly. He came in a manner that he was healing all sickness and disease. And so when they came to that place, they, they asked, where is the moaning and the groaning coming from? They went to the man and they spoke to that man they prayed and anointed that person and when they did so the healing was affected in that person and all the moaning ceased and all the striving ceased and all the pain dissipated and that person was set free and redeemed and what happened in that place where no other doctor could have done God came in with the healing and by extension the gospel was heard and received in a powerful way and that family was redeemed and a legacy of faith was born and Reinhard Bonnke has been a man who thankfully one day someone was sent to them but he has been sent to the nations and there will be millions of people in heaven today because and when we come face to face with the lord millions and millions of people why because a missionary chose to go to a village in Germany, and by extension, share the faith, made, enacted a healing through the power of the Holy Spirit, and the gospel rang out in truth. People were set free. An evangelist was called onto the field, and lives have been forever changed. There's a benefit, church, when we send out people into the harvest. Not only that, I see in this passage here, if we look in the next couple of verses, that we are to send because if it's a command, we're to send because there's an incredible benefit in it, but we are also to be mindful of how we send. We don't just send missionaries in any which way. We don't just send them in any which way. What does it mean to send a missionary? How is it done? We're going to get practical here in just a bit, but first, let's just look at the logic of verses 6 through 8. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. In a manner worthy of God. Kind of reminds me of Paul saying that we are to live our lives in a manner worthy of the calling. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. John gives importance to how we send people out. We're to send them in the manner that is worthy of God. And why should we send missionaries in a manner that is worthy of God? 
Notice the logic. For they were sent out for the sake of his name. Therefore, we ought to support these men. Verse 7 is the best definition of a missionary here in this, in this section that we are aware of in the Bible. A missionary is not someone who goes for merely humanitarian concerns. I mentioned to you last week, supporting Ronald McDonald's House of Charities is a good thing. Sure, that's no problem. You know, sending out money to, to all these different types of organizations and associations is great. Habitat for Humanity, incredible. Go ahead and serve and, and, and sow into ministries, into organizations such as these. That's great. But that is, is something that is benefiting society. But my question is, is it furthering the gospel? Is it bringing the ultimate reality of what is necessary? Those who are, we are supposed to support are the ones who go in the name of the Lord. They go in his name, carrying his message. They are there to build his kingdom and to further his cause. They are there to share and expand the kingdom of God. And that is the most critical enterprise that there is in this world. A missionary is going to further the kingdom of God because he is driven by a zeal to exalt the name of God, to bring glory to the Father. As I have been sent by you, Jesus says, so I send them that they may know you that they may bring you glory. We are to also go, the missionaries that we send are to go under the unction to bring about the glorification and exaltation of God, to bring about incredible praise to God, to bring beauty to the character and to the work of Jesus Christ. These are the only missionaries that God commands us to support. It's nice to do it in the other contexts, but he commands us to send these. Oh, I don't know if I can send that because I'm already doing this organization, that or I'm supporting this cause and that cause. I'm saving the whales here and I'm cleaning up the bay there and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm taking care of, of this issue here. Awesome, incredible, important, but here we go. You ought to, you are commanded to support those who are going about in his name. And since they go about for the sake of the name of Christ, they don't sell the gospel for money. They don't go out there so that they can advance their own little kingdoms or have their own self-advancement. What they're going for is to bring glory to God and to bring salvation to those who are lost, to seek and to save those who are lost, to not be served, but to serve those who are broken, to bind up those who are brokenhearted. They are going and saying, Lord, I, I'm, I'm putting my life on the line and I'm laying down my cause for yours. And how do we support such people? How do we do the work that John is telling us to do here in this epistle? Surely it means a lot more than just adding their names to our budgets. It means more than just listing them on the website. It means more than just sending a check every once in a while, every month or so. It is more than that. What does it mean to send a missionary? This is a particular word for send here that occurs several times within this passage. It occurs nine times in the New Testament, always in the context of helping Christian workers get to where they need to go and do the work that they need to do for the kingdom of God. Paul in Titus chapter 3, he says that, Do your best to speed Zanus, the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. 
to send, to offer, to send is to offer every practical help. And yes, we, we've, last week I gave you guys a, a missionary faith promise brochure. And I said that you are to go home, ask God to, to give you direction and clarity, pray over that, see how he would call you to partner in missions and to be about sending men and women financially into the world. And we're going to you know, connect with your pledges and receive our pledges over in our banquet. We're going to do that right after service. There's not a problem with that, but here's the deal. It's more than just giving financially to that. The work of sending involves going beyond our finances. Notice in in verse 5, Beloved, it is faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, these strangers as they are. In the ancient Near East, in the Mediterranean world that this people are living in, there was the law of hospitality. And hospitality was something that you didn't afford to your neighbors, not something that you afforded to, to those within your family. Hospitality was something that was directed towards the stranger. Because the stranger had absolutely no right, had no, no legal binding, had no you know, support system within that world. They, they were overlooked often. And so there was this law of hospitality, a law that stated for those who are receiving hospitality, I shall not uh, make any hostility towards my host. I shall not insult them in any way. I will not usurp. I, I will not assume the role of the host when I am received. I will not <laughs> deny that which the host offers me, especially when it comes to food. I will take what I am given because there's this love and this expectation, this rule of engagement with hospitality. Not only that, but the host was expected to not insult or, or, or make any hostile moves towards the person, the stranger that he was receiving. He was not to, you know, uh, leave them unprotected. In fact, when you came under the banner, you came under the home, you entered into the threshold of those that you were coming into to host you, offering you hospitality, they would also pledge their sword to you. You might be a complete stranger, but the minute they received you in hospitality, you were received as a person that they would defend to the death to take care of. And they were not to insult in any which way. And so there's this way of hospitality that is shown in this text. Faithful thing that you do in all your efforts to these brothers, these strangers that they are. The word whatever shows the broadness that includes in the sending. Some of us, we, we want to just relegate sending to let me just you know, give financially and amen, the work is done and I can carry on with my life. But here's the deal. He says, whatever it is, you do it. There's a broadness. Imagine, you know, uh, there, there's, there's a missionary family here with us today and I want you to connect with them in the, in the um, uh, luncheon and ask questions and engage them. The, the young family who is going to a place where people are not really receptive to the gospel of Jesus and yet they are going by faith to go and do the work of the ministry. You know, stop and think about what is entailed as a person decides, I'm going to lay down my life and leave the comforts of home to go to a place that I do not know, to a place where the culture is different, to a place where people might be hostile, hostile towards me, to a place where I'm going to for sure have some challenges, but I'm going to have incredible victories in God's name and by faith, but yet there's going to be difficulties and stress and strain. But think about that. What does it entail? What does it entail when that person is on the field that we would support them? What is it that they may need while they're there? What is it that they may need in preparation and getting it? What is it that they may need when they come back home? 
and they're on furlough, or they've finished an assignment and they're getting ready for another. Think about what the sending looks like practically. It would be a shame if we would say to such people, here you go, just I'll throw more money at the situation. Here's some more cash and and your situation will be resolved. But think about it. Could sending also mean that, hey, what is it that you're going to need when you get there? Thank God that we are partnered with the Assemblies of God and they have this program called Speed the Light and that we can right now prepare them as they go by getting them cars and getting them equipment and getting them tech equipment and all that they may need when they get there that they can hit the ground running and be able to have something that is necessary. Thank God that there is language schools that we can invest in them and say, hey, we're going to help you to learn and prepare and be you know, a student that when you get there, you're not so frustrated at the culture shock and the language, but you can actually communicate with the people that are there could sending be that we are looking at those who have family members and say what can we do to support your children as you're going and preparing how can we care for you as you're trying to care for them and prepare their hearts and their minds to go could sending be that we are connecting with them that we are visiting them that we are in some way somehow that we are building bridges and that we continue to be a support system even while they're there See, sending is not just a matter of saying, here's some cash, see you later, God bless you, and give us a report when you come back. But could sending also be when they return, that they have inroads that have been forged with the church and with the members of the church? Could it be that they receive hospitality and they maybe need a place to stay and, and somebody in the house of God will say, hey, you, can, you don't have a place to go. You can come and stay in my house for a month. You can come and stay in my house for a couple of weeks. I, hey, here, I have a, a, a rental home that I can make available to you. Hey, I have a situation here that you need a car. I have an extra one you can help. Hey, you need a ride. We will go with you in whatever place. Could it be that sending is not just a matter of giving money but making our lives available through hospitality? and being able to serve them in those ways. There's a lot that is entailed. And you know what? It's a lot because it's supposed to be a lot. There's a lot of things that are necessary to get people out onto the field, to keep them and sustain them in the field. And the beauty is that we're not supposed to do all of it. But as a church, he is saying that we should do whatever, and that call is for all of us because it will take all of us in order to support. The church is supposed to be a body of believers, a, a, a community of people that is ingrained and connected at going forward and supporting the cause of Christ. All of us together can do what God has put in our own hearts that would support and bless whatever the particular role or need may be of a missionary. And we do so in a manner that is worthy of God. These are men and women who are going because of the kingdom, not going for their own things. And lastly, I want you to look at here that there's a synergetic reality of sending. There's a synergy that happens. There's a partnership. There, there is a compounding, an exponential growth. There, there is a partnership that is there as we send people out into the field. The ministry of sending is both a joyful thing and it's a dangerous thing. I mentioned in week one that we are to pray for God to send out workers into the harvest field. And we looked at you know, the, the scripture in Matthew If we had kept going into the next chapter, you would have seen that as Jesus told them to pray for the harvest and pray for the laborers, that God would send out more laborers and workers into the harvest, we see that the people that he actually does send are the ones that he called to pray. 
he ends up sending the disciples to go two by two, and they are the ones who answer the call. And so it is a dangerous thing because as we pray for workers, we may ourselves become the workers that God sends. Additionally, while we are sending, as we are in the ministry of serving through sending people, we might be the ones that God then taps on the shoulder and say, hey, I want you now to go. You have been working at sending, at supplying, at financing, at partnering, at supporting, but now I want you to yourself to go. And you know what? God may surprise us in becoming a sent one. You know, I've heard that God is a very comical God. Have you ever experienced a situation where you've said something to God, God, don't, don't do this, or Lord, I don't ever want to do that, and then, you know, that thing ends up happening? You know, there's, there's been many people who said, Lord, I will go anywhere in the world except for XYZ country. And then, lo and behold, they have a long, thriving ministry in exactly that place. The place where they said, Lord, never send me here. Send me somewhere else. So be careful. It is a dangerous thing to partner in prayer, in sending and going. But it is a necessary thing. It's a command from the Lord. And here's the deal. As goers may return home for a variety of reasons, sometimes they become the ones that become the best senders. So there is a, a duality, there's a partnership, there's a, a synergy that's here, that those who are sending are contributing to the work, and those who have been sent, sometimes they come back, and they also contribute to the work, and there's a, a cascade that keeps going, and it, it, it's a loop that never ends, because the call doesn't finish. There is still good news to be preached. Remember, senders and goers are fellow workers for the truth. That's what he said. We become co-workers, verse 8, in the truth. The reality is that in the call to send people into missions, God does not categorize people which one is more valuable to him and which one is less. In the work of the ministry of Christ to advance his gospel around the world, there is equal value in all of the players. There's equal value in every person that is called and every person that answers, every person that partners. The one who sends is just as valuable as the one who goes and the one who stays and the one who, who ministers, the one who prays. We are just as valuable and it's a synergy that is created because God wants to reach every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and every one of us is critical in the work. Not one of us can complete it on our own. As we support such persons, we become co-workers in the truth. And that's a more accurate translation from the NIV. In God's eyes, we are not in a hierarchy of value. With the missionary on top and those who send playing second fiddle at the bottom, no. We are all of equal footing. We may not be physically going to where we see the unreached people groups are. But when we support them, we go anyways. When we say yes to sending a man or a woman, young or old, doesn't matter whether their background or their calling. As we say yes to God and send, we also go by extension. We are in the field with them. Their story, like the story of the four friends, becomes our story. And we partner with them. In God's eyes, there is no hierarchy, like I said. Some give support and some are sent, but both are essential. Both are needed. And so I want you, that being said, to hear from our fellow co-worker, our fellow co-laborer, 
who's out in the field. I want you to be encouraged by our fellow worker by the name of Don Butera, who's out in Indonesia. Take a look at the screen as he brings an update to you today. Hey, Celebration Church, uh, Don Butera here in Indonesia. I just wanted to give you a little update and let you know some things that are happening here in Indonesia. I, I can't tell you, but I am just so honored. It is such a privilege to serve Jesus here in Indonesia. Like everyone during the pandemic last year, it seemed like it was gonna be a difficult year, but we decided we were just gonna press on through. And so we began to do outreaches all around our island. And uh, our goal uh, last year was one baptism a week. I'm sorry to say we didn't get there. We got to 48 baptisms last year. So it was, it was a joy, man. It was just, a, it was so much fun. Uh, and so uh, last year was good. And then uh, this one village that we have been working in, we began to have relationship with the, with the head of the village. They started reading their Bible. And then just two months ago, uh, they said that they wanted to get baptized. And so they, they came to Jesus. They were baptized. And now we have complete open doors in that village. Oh, we have uh, uh, now about 15 people that have been baptized from that village. And we have some uh, small groups started there. We're real excited. We're looking forward to what God is doing. The, the, the head of the village just said, whatever you want to do. They even gave us a building uh, to, to uh, meet with the kids and with the moms and start doing uh, English uh, training about doing uh, medical clinics. And, you know, we're looking forward to putting a transforming life center there in that village. Uh, we're excited. And so this year... Uh, I, I want to tell you something that's just even, oh, just, as they say in Indonesia, luar biasa, which means just amazing, just outside of the uh, ordinary. Uh, and that is that uh, our goal this year, my goal was I've been working and partnering with this organization and we have developed a training program where we can start, launch and start um, uh, churches. We want to train these individuals. And so our goal was 30 churches uh, to start 30 churches this year in different islands all around East Indonesia. Well, we had our initial uh, meeting. We called it a conference. We had uh, people and people from all different islands, Lombok, Sumba, Papua, uh, Kupang, Ende. I mean, it was just, a, I couldn't believe the number of people who came and from that, we had signups on those that want to be trained this year to start churches. My goal, as I said, was 30 churches. We had 120 people sign up to start churches. So my goal has increased a little bit. Uh, actually, now our goal is 50 to 100 churches being started this year on islands, uh, the different islands that have all different faiths. And so we're really excited. Please pray for us. Pray that we have the mental capacity, the, the strength, and the, the, I don't know, figure it all out, the finances, all of it. But God is coming through. He's going to do it. And so we're going to see 50 to 100 churches uh, planted this year. Please pray that that happens. And I want to thank you guys all for your support and, and help throughout the years. Uh, I'm telling you, someone's going to come up to you in heaven and say, Trima kasi, uh, meaning thank you for sending Don and, 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 this, and this team out to uh, serve these islands. 
It's through your support and help that it's been such a blessing. Uh, feel free, if you want to come out, I'd love to have a team come out. Just let me know. I'll be here in the fall. I'll be in the States in the fall. I hope I get to see you. God bless you. Have a great service. And don't forget, after the service, go out and share the gospel with someone. There's nothing better than leading someone to Jesus. Have a great day. Have a wonderful service. Worship God like you've never worshipped before. We'll talk to you later. Bye. God, who has been faithful. And I want to thank all of you who have been able to partner with Don financially as we sold into, into missions and we've prayed over him. What he said there just captures my heart. It's somebody will thank you in heaven. Someone that you have never met, someone that you would never have imagined will come to you in heaven and say, thank you. Thank you. Because you've impacted them through the act of sending out Don Butera and his team. Somebody, some families, and I wonder how many lineage of disciples will come out of that act. There will be people upon people because you chose to be a fellow worker for the cause of Christ. I'm going to invite the team to come up and we're going to spend some time just in reflection and prayer as we close out. There was a story of a, of a man who was looking at a precipice and he saw there was a mine. And it was, it was the, he was at the edge of this unexplored mine and he was looking down. He wondered what it would cost for him to cross that threshold for him to go down into those dark, dark spaces. What it would look like if he were to descend away from the life as he knew and he would penetrate into that darkness. As he returned to his friends, he said, well, I will go down if you will hold the rope. I'll go down if you hold the rope. A small group of English pastors in the late 18th century uh, looked at what seemed to be an insurmountable task. These men looked at this situation the spiritual darkness that they saw in the country of India was too big for them to not leave unanswered, for them to ignore. And so these friends, they desired to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into that space, to that distant nation. William Carey said that he would go if his colleagues would stay behind and commit themselves to holding the rope. Andrew Fuller we hear of William Carey, but we don't often hear of Andrew Fuller. Andrew Fuller was one of those English pastors who stayed in England. He championed for his friend and the ministry to unreached peoples as a fundraiser, as a promoter, as a pastor. And he continuously battled the Western world's view of missions, their ill-formed doctrines of what it meant to go out and bring the gospel into the rest of the world. And this man visited churches. He talked about, he presented the path that Kerry was taking and the path that many others after Kerry had followed, the path to go overseas. Andrew Fuller himself never made the journey across the oceans to preach the gospel where it had not yet been preached or taken. However, because of his efforts to never let go of that rope, to never let go of that rope, he helped shape much of the modern missions approach that exists today. Church, we're called to missions. Sometimes we get caught up in 
the gospel that is preached in this nation. And sometimes we want to go forth and just amass everything for ourselves. But hey, we have good news and that good news cannot be kept under a hill. It, it should not be bottled up. It should not be put on a basket underneath. It should be put up on the hill and it needs to be broadcasted. If we are the salt and the light of the world, we need to be able to be among the world and be making a change, be shining our light, be making a difference. It needs to be shared. And by extension, we cannot do it on our own. We can't reach every person. I don't know your your influence group and your circle of influence. I don't know the people that you work with. I will probably never cross paths with some of them, with most of them. But that's also true beyond your sphere around this world, around your state, around your community, there are men and women that we need to call, men and women that we need to partner with to send because it's an obligation. We're called to send out missionaries. When we accept that calling, lives are forever impacted. People are set free. People receive the gospel of Jesus. They receive hope. They receive freedom. They experience healing and they experience the ultimate hope and the blessed assurance of one day being with the Lord, reconciled to God. For all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and we need to be reconciled to him. And so when we go, we impact lives forever. The sender, the sent, and the recipients are blessed through the love of Christ. Therefore, the attention by which we go is also necessary. We don't go in any which way, but we need to send people who are going for the right reasons. We need to send men and women who are saying, I'm going not for my own name to be put in lights or to receive recognition for myself, but to bring glory and honor to the Father. There are men and women who are going, as Jesus said, without even a money bag, with just the clothes on their back, they're going, they're believing that God is faithful and that he'll provide. And so in that sense, we're supposed to send them off and believe and partner with them, that they go in a heart set to seek the lost to bring glory to God. And we're open to this commandment. When we are open, when we connect with this calling, this enriching and honorable endeavor and enterprise, we embrace it as an extension of our own work and that we are partners and co-laborers. My question for us this morning is as we contemplate and wrap up our mission's emphasis today, are we going to hold the rope? I'm going to tell you a little bit more in our banquet a little bit later about our commitments. But I dream that we will be a church that is ascending church, a church that's an answering the call church, a church that is concerned about the lost around us. We're not to be a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. And that hospital needs to have rescue missions around this world, around our communities, around this nation. So I invite you to stand with me today. And I want you to picture and stop and contemplate. Just contemplate this. If you were to have... If you were to be a missionary on that field and God sent you to, let's say, the country of Japan, sent you to the Congo in Africa, would it be your role to evangelize and minister and bring the kingdom of God to the Japanese or the Congolese? I bet you would say, yes, that would be my job, that would be my calling, that would be my purpose, that is why I've been sent. I'm going in the name of the Lord. 
But now let me ask you this. How many of us might have a Japanese neighbor or a Congolese neighbor? How many of us may have a neighbor from a country that we would feel if we were missionaries to it, we would be reaching out to them? Well, in the same way, God expects us to answer the calls that he gives us. We are not responsible for the call that we don't receive, but we're responsible for the ones that come our way. And when we read this book, there's a call that we know we absolutely need to do. We need to pray. We need to send. We need to go. We need to do all these different things. And that's a call that God will hold us responsible for. I know we can't embrace every single cause or financially support every single missionary. It's impossible, but it's a work that we collectively do. And what I want you to stop and consider is, Lord, have I let go of the rope and overlooked my responsibility? I want us to stop and just ask God for forgiveness in this moment, in this area, because I know that I have, I have not done more than I should. I thank God for the privilege of sowing into missions in this church. Every paycheck money comes out and it goes to here. I'm, I'm grateful that God has given me the opportunity to, to sow into financially, independently outside of this church, other missionaries and friends that I went to Bible school with and, and pastors that I know. I'm grateful for that, but I know that there's more. Not just money-wise, but there's more. So as you contemplate and consider this, let me just pray a blessing over you and Um, If you need to take some moment before we go and have lunch and, and enjoy the festivities of what we have planned over there, just take some moments here. And I'll make sure that someone on our board and myself will be here to pray and connect with you. Father, I thank you that you were willing to send your son Jesus so that we would not be left broken and lost. But you sent him to die on a cross and to be the perfect penalty, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect payment for the wrath of sin. And Lord, when he died on that cross and he rose on the third day, he effected for us salvation. We thank you that you were ascending God and that we can by faith receive the work of Jesus Christ into our lives. Lord, if there be any person in this place that has never yet come into relationship with you, I pray that God, today, they would make the moves towards you. That today, Lord God, they would cry out to you for salvation and repentance. Today, they would say, Lord, I give up my affairs and I give up, Lord God, the things that I have done, the the sins and the brokenness. And Lord, I ask you, forgive me for everything that is wrong within me. And God, help me to live a life believing in you as Lord and Savior. Help me to live for you. And help me, Lord God, to partner with you. Lord, I pray that you would birth inside of your children today a calling to send people out into the field, however that looks like, God. Whether they come alongside and they provide of their time, they provide, Lord God, of their efforts, that they, Lord God, double down in prayer, that, Father, they open up their checkbooks, and, Lord, that they commit to faithful generosity so that the gospel can go around the world. Father, I pray that because of their faithfulness, there will be, Lord Jesus, a mighty revival that will come forth in Jesus' name, that, Lord God, will take people out of bars and out of brokenness, and, Father, that will put people, Lord God, within your churches, and, Father, that will revolutionize communities and change, Lord God, outcomes, breaking the power 
power of addictions, breaking the power, Lord God, of bondage. Lord Jesus, releasing people from the clutches of death and despair. And Father, leading people according to your goodness and your graces into a life of abundance and a life of future hope. Father, I pray that you would speak to each person. That, Lord, it would not be for the glory of CIC or the glory of this ministry, but the glory, Lord God, of your kingdom in your precious and mighty name. And, Father, for all of the times that maybe we have taken glory and credit for, for the, what we have sown back into your kingdom. I ask you, Lord God, forgiveness. Humble us, and Lord God, and put us back into a place where it's all about you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.